focused on me and you'll not be disappointed. For whatever you've seen in the past, you've not seen anything yet, says the Lord. For that which I, I choose to do in this day will be far, far greater than that which was done in the past. For this is the day. This is the day. This is the day that I've made. And this is the day that I've made for you. So no matter what the circumstances may have been in your life in the past, don't dwell there any longer, but look forward, for I have something new for you. And that which seems so big in the past will seem like nothing in the future. So look to me and you'll see, says the Lord. And you'll not be disappointed. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we receive that in the glorious name of Jesus. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. And Father, we want that to be sealed upon our hearts. That we might see the manifestation of that in our lives. That in everything that we do and say that you might be lifted up, that you might be exalted, that you might be glorified. And so we thank you. We thank you. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And all the saints of God said, Amen and amen and amen. You can go ahead and be seated if you can. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. He is so wonderful. Hallelujah, glory to God. Glory, 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 glory. God is good. Hallelujah. Well, Pastor Harold, you've got something for us? Something on your heart? Praise the Lord. How about you, Pastor Cornelius? Anything stirring in you? Well, I guess it must be you. You want to stay down there? What was the one thing God said we needed to do? From what he said, you know? Keep, his, keep your eyes on him. Mm -hmm. If you want to see a demonstration, it's not about what you do. It's not about what you accomplish or what kind of condition you're in. It's if you're willing to keep your eyes on him. Mm -hmm. If you're willing to exalt him over whatever the situation is. And coming expecting. You know, when, before he said that, I was thinking, we had talked about having a Sunday where we encourage everybody to come on one particular Sunday so we can fill this house. You know, people come on one Sunday and then other people don't come that Sunday. And, you know, so then there's always spots. And um, I was thinking, you know, you could have a promo that says, come see the man who walked on the water. Come hear about the man who raised the dead. Come hear about, see, the demonstrations are going to be even greater. Mm -hmm. That's what he said. Amen. So what did you come out to see? Remember Jesus said that too, to the, to the crowd? What did you come out to see? Mm -hmm. what, do you, what are you coming to see? Who are you coming to see? Who are you going to keep your eyes on? Because when you come in, you got all kinds of things in here that you're thinking about and seeing that seem bigger than the possibility of a demonstration. Who wants to do the demonstration? Mm -hmm. And God wants to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So when he says receive, you receive the anointing into your hands, you receive the anointing into your mouth, you receive the anointing into your feet. And what do you have to do? There's one thing. Keep your eyes in the right place because your eyes will deceive you otherwise. Amen. Hallelujah. Speaking of hands, <clears throat> will somebody go out and get me a paper towel? My hands are sweating so bad I can't stand it right now. Either that or just really sweating a lot. Thank you. Boy, Joe is just prepared for everything, isn't she? <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I want to talk with you today about how supply will come, will follow belief. You know, it's so important that we believe. Your mother-in-law beat you to it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. There. There. Come on, come on, come on. Don't let me hand. That was that was good. Praise the Lord. Gonna have to remember that one. Hallelujah. The supply in the spiritual realm will follow our belief. We need to believe. You know, is it interesting? All that we're asked to do is believe. That's it. All we're asked to do is believe. If we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we're saved. But what do we, what do we really have to do? We have to believe. And you know, that's how it is with all of the truths, all the principles of God's Word is that we need to believe. And everything around us, we, last week we talked about unbelief and how everything around us tries to hinder us, tries to keep us from that place of, of truly believing. Unbelief attacks our belief and it gets, and the number one thing that it wants to do is it wants to get us focused upon everything else other than on Jesus. What we need to do is we need to, get, we need to get back to Jesus. Amen? And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, and the tenth verse. And it says, For he who has entered his rest, he who has entered his rest, you know, one of the things that we find in, in Scripture is that when we're, when we're truly walking in, when we're truly believing, there, there's a rest that comes along with that. You know, because when we're not believing and trusting in Jesus, we're constantly feeling that there's something more that we have to do. But he's talking here about entering in the rest, and the way that we enter that rest is by putting our trust our confidence completely in Jesus. And it says, <clears throat> again in the 10th verse, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from the works 
as God did for him. In other words, God did it, and we cease from trying to do it ourselves. Let us, therefore, so that's speaking to us, let us, therefore, be diligent. And so we're to be diligent about something, to be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the example of disobedience. And so the labor that we have, the work that we have, is to enter the rest. And how do we enter the rest? We enter the rest by not allowing ourselves to be distracted by everything that's going on around us. You know, I, I've just, <clears throat> I've just, I just really feel like that word this morning, I really believe that it was an encouragement from the Holy Spirit to us because I really believe that we're entering in a time we're going to see and we're going to be experiencing uh, manifestations. And, and we've got to be aware, just in, just in the last week, I've had uh, two different situations. Um, last Monday night when we were up at the prison, there's, there's one of these guys that's, you know, the, the guys we have up there on Monday night are just so attentive. They're like sponges um, just receiving the Word of God. And, but there's this one guy, and he, he's, he's always kind of, I mean, he's always so attentive. And in Monday night, he was, he was distracted. And while I was sharing the word, I could, I could tell that he was constantly distracted. And he was sitting in the same area that uh, Donna was sitting in. And, and, uh, and, and so finally, he leaned over to Donna. And, he's, and, and I'm probably not going to share this right, but it'll be within the ballpark. He said, uh, did you see that? And she says, well, no, what are you talking about? And she says, says, through the whole service, Jesus has been standing at the door. And he had on this robe. And, 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 and so, I, I mean, I, I think I probably would have been a little bit distracted too. But through the whole service, he saw Jesus standing there. Then I had a, a, a phone call from an individual, and they were asking about a, a dream that they had. And again, it was a spiritual dream. You know, the Bible says that in the last days, we're going to dream dreams and we're going to have visions. And I believe we're in the last days. And I think we need to be aware, because there, there's one thing that I know, that when the Holy Spirit wants to begin to move in our lives in a mighty way, the enemy wants to counter that. He wants to scare us, and he wants to discourage us, and he wants to distract us. And the number one way that he wants to distract us is because he wants to get us out of faith. He wants to get us to where we don't believe. And the number one tool that he's going to use on that is circumstances in our life to, to draw our attention away from him to everything else that's going on around us. And this is what He's talking about here in, in Hebrews. He's talking about the labor that we're going to have as believers is to stay in that place of rest because everything around us is going to try to pull us away from that. 
And so that's why it's so important for us to get back to the Word of God and that we focus on the Word of God. And we put the Word of God first place in our life because that's the one thing that's going to keep us on track. You know, <clears throat> we're going to be reading through Mark, the fifth chapter here in just a moment. And, and one of the things that we see about Mark, the fifth chapter, and I believe that as we read through that, one of the things that we can do is we can look upon Jesus and we can see him as our supply. In every area of your life, Jesus is your supply. And what we need to see is what we need to understand, rather, is how his completed works has made everything available to us, and we have to be in a position, we need to be in a position to receive. And if we're not, the enemy will distract us and he'll get us focusing on everything else that's going on around us. He wants, us to keep, wants to keep us from operating in the finished works of Jesus. He wants us to get us to a place where we feel like we've still got to do something to earn it, when Jesus has already done it all. I don't know if you realize it or not, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about keeping our eyes fixed on him. It's all about recognizing what he's already done, what he's accomplished for each and every one of us. And so, the labor that we have is to remain in a position of rest. And the interesting thing about it, if you, if you study out what he's talking about there with rest, he's not talking about us sitting back in a lounge chair not doing anything. It's an act of rest. When we believe that God has done something in our life, there's, a, there's an activity that goes along with it. I've shared how <clears throat> that Saturday morning in the basement of Vern Lewis's house when they shared the gospel with me and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. That morning, as they were talking to me there, I thought I was there for something else. But as they were sharing with me, faith began to rise up on the inside of me. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when faith rises up on the inside of you, it demands an action. It's not you trying to do something, it's what, what, what faith does, is what, when you put your trust in Jesus, what happens is there's an action that goes along with that. And so that morning, there was action that went along with the faith that rose up on the inside of me, and I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and my life has never been the same since. And it's all because of Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I went through a lot of unrest since that time. Because I constantly thought there were things that I needed to do to earn God's love, to earn his favor and so forth. But when you begin to realize the finished works of Jesus, that Jesus has already done it all, where the works of the labor comes in is to remain in that place of rest where we continue to trust him no matter what the circumstances are around us. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Romans, uh, not Romans, Mark, the fifth chapter. <clears throat> and I'm going to read this whole chapter because I believe it's so important. And there's some events that take place in this chapter that I believe that if we see it and we get a hold of it, we can see that Jesus is our supply. No matter what's going on around us, Jesus is our supply. And so beginning in Mark, the fifth chapter, in the first verse, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the 
country of the Gatorians, something like that. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had been dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he, often been, he had often been bound with, with shackles and chains, and the chains uh, that had, were, he pulled them apart, and the shackles broke, broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and on the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. You know, <clears throat> that's all kind of hard for us to identify with. But you know, I remember when I was in Egypt and we were, we were driving around Cairo and uh, there were two different spots that we drove by. The one was the dump. And uh, there, were, there were people that were known as the, the dump people. That's where they lived. And they lived there so that um, when they came out to dump garbage, they could be the first ones to get to the garbage to get anything out of it, whether it was food or whatever, but you drive, drive by the dump and there's just, there's just people all over the place, just scattered. And then there was another place, and it was the tombs. And we drove by the tombs and I always wondered, why are all, <laughs> why are all these people out there? Because there are people everywhere. Well, that's where they lived. Because they would break into the tombs and that's where they would, that's where they would sleep, that's where they would stay. That was basically their homes. And so we hear about this, this demon-possessed man that lived amongst the tombs. And, you know, I don't know about you, I get this picture that this guy is out there isolated from everybody. But probably not. There's probably scores of people out there. But here he is, he's living amongst the tombs. And it says that he was, they had tried to control him and they couldn't control him. Then it goes on and then it says, then he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, you know, it's interesting, when we see Jesus, everything begins to change. Well, I, I've, Pastor, I've never seen Jesus. Well, you've seen him in the Word. And that's what we're, we're, we're talking about. Very few of us will have a vision of Jesus. Very few of us will see him before we face him face to face in heaven. But we see Jesus. The primary number one way that we see Jesus is through his word. You know, because, you know, you can, you, can, you can physically see somebody but never know them. You can see them on the streets of Jefferson, but you don't, you don't know them. You don't know if they've got problems. You don't know if everything's wonderful in their life. You don't know. We don't really know until you have talk to somebody face to face. That's where, you, that's where you get to know them. You see them. You communicate with them. And that's how it was with Jesus. Yeah, he, he saw Jesus, but, but it isn't so much the fact that he physically saw Jesus with his eyes that he, he began to see him. And that's what we need to do. We need to see Jesus. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshiped him. And so obviously it was more than just seeing this physical figure. It says that he ran to him and he worshiped him. So he, 
it was evident who he was. And he cried out with a loud voice and he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. You know, it's an interesting thing about people in the world. When they encounter Jesus until they're ready to yield to him, it's almost a torment that goes along with it. You know, there's an individual who visited our church one time and, um, with a friend and, and uh, I guess he didn't like what he heard, you know, because he would go to beer parties and so forth and, and uh, uh, he'd take the empty cans and he'd build this little structure and then he'd kick it down and he'd say, that's Abundant Life Food Industries, I'm kicking it down, I'm tearing it down. You know, that, my understanding, that went on for years until he encountered Jesus. And uh, he came back to church. And uh, after the service, he, he came up to, to me and he apologized to me and, and, and told me what he, what he had done. And of course, I'd been aware of it. And I said, you know, you're forgiven, but you've already been forgiven. And, uh, and of course, you know, he had received Jesus, but that morning I was able to pray with him and he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, it, it really wasn't about me. It really wasn't about Abundant Life Ministries. It was about Jesus. You see, when we don't yield ourselves to him, it's almost like there's a, there's a torment that goes along with it. Why, why is the world so opposed to anything that has anything to do with Jesus? You remember even the disciples, they, they, were, they were arrested. Peter and John were arrested. And they, they couldn't find any fault with them. And so they were going to release them. And they said, you know, we're, we're going to let you go now. But, but don't, don't speak anymore in that name. We're going to let you go, but don't speak anymore in that name. And they said, how can we not speak in that name? And so they whipped them and they let them go and they went and spoke in the name. But what was it that tormented these religious folk? It was Jesus. What is the torment of the world? They think that they don't like us, they don't like our positions, they don't like all these things about us, but really it isn't about you and me. It's about Jesus. Remember years back, you know, when, when before we had the front and so forth here, you know, we had a wooden sign and one Sunday morning I, I came out to church and there was a, a satanic thing written you know, on our, painted on our sign. I thought it was paint. And, and so I <clears throat> went and got a, uh, some sandpaper because I thought I was going to have to sand it off. And I started sanding. I thought, boy, this is really gummy. And so I got and got soap and water and washed it off. It was blood. Another Sunday morning came to church and, and uh, we had the double doors out front and, and uh, the window was broken out because somebody had thrown a beer bottle or can or something through it, broke, broke the window. You know, I used to, Sunday mornings, it hasn't been that way so much anymore, but Sunday mornings I used to come out early enough so that I could beat everybody so that I could pick the beer cans and everything off the, uh, from the front of the church. You look like you have a guilty face. Were you one of those? Oh, okay. <laughs> <coughs> you know, and, uh, you know, but, but, but see, you know, the, the thing about it is, is 
We haven't had so much of that anymore. And sometimes I sit back and I wonder, I'm thinking, are we doing something wrong? You know, because the world doesn't like it when you preach in the name of Jesus. And we think, I don't know why they don't like us because, you know, really, I'm pretty nice. But it really isn't about us. It's about Jesus. The world can't handle Jesus because there's something about that name that torments them. It's because until they receive that name, there is no hope for them. And so here we have this guy and he's, he's tormented. He says to Jesus, why are you tormenting me? And technically, as far as we know, Jesus hasn't said anything. But it's his very presence. <clears throat> you know, the Bible says that we are to carry a sweet aroma about us because we have the Spirit of God. And that aroma is pleasing to us as believers, but it's a stench to the world. We need to realize and expect that God is going to use us. But, but here, getting back to this guy, and, he, and starting in the sixth verse, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him and he cried out with a loud voice saying, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. And he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he said to him, what is your name? And he answered and say, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. As he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out to, of, of the country. He's talking here about the demons that they didn't want to be sent out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountain. So all the demons, notice it says all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine where there were 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. You know, the Bible says the enemy has come but for to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's all that he knows. is death, destruction. That's what he wants to do in your life and my life. And those who fed the swine fled and they took it, uh, to told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Think about this. This guy has been living there out in the wilderness. Everybody that went by, he would, he would torment them. I'm not even going to go there. I, I was, I was going to say... Is probably a Green Bay fan, but <clears throat> but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. Just, just not even gonna gonna touch that. I'm gonna steer where way clear of that, you know. <clears throat> and so, but he, but everybody had seen it and they had heard it and 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 all of a sudden they come out and here this guy was clothed. He was sitting quietly. 
and he is in his right mind. All because he had encountered Jesus. Wow. You would think that would move people, wouldn't you? Well, it did move them. It says, um, I got to find the right place. Yeah. And those who saw it, and those who saw it, told them how it happened to him. And who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with him, Jesus, to depart from the region. That, that absolutely blows me away. Here's Jesus, the one that set this man that had been tormented for we don't know how long, years and years and years, set free. And those that came out and saw it said, Jesus, we would just as soon you go away. Man, you, you would think they would say, come and preach to us. Share with us this goodness. Share with us this, this love. Share with us how this took place. Because we have loved ones in the same condition. But no, they said, you know, we would just as soon you depart and go someplace else. And you know, the interesting thing about it is, is Jesus is a gentleman. Jesus doesn't force himself upon them. It says, and when he got into the boat, this is Jesus. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. There is one thing, that when you truly encounter Jesus, you want to be in his presence. And so this man that had been set free, he wanted to go with Jesus, that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he, is, has, uh, how he had compassion on you. And so what Jesus is saying, you know, I could let you go with me, but it's not going to help anybody. What you need to do is you need to go tell everybody how good Jesus is and what wonderful things he's done in your life. Because every one of us, we have something good that Jesus has done in our life. We were lost, but now we're saved. We were doomed to, to damnation, but now we have a home in heaven, all because of Jesus. And he's saying that, you know, sometimes I think we get fearful and we think, well, how can I witness to anybody? I don't, I don't, have, I don't have a testimony like this. This guy that had the demons, I don't have a testimony like that. But you know what? Every one of us have a, have a testimony. Jesus has moved in our lives. What's going to change the lives of others is when they hear what Jesus has truly done in our lives because it's going to give them hope. Faith without hope. You know, the world is hopeless. 
I almost said faith without works is dead. And, you know, that was, wouldn't have been an appropriate passage there. But Hebrews says that faith is a substance of things hoped for. And so we need to be hopeful in life. You know, we've been talking about the fact that really the issue is not that we don't have enough faith. The issue is that, we, that, that unbelief wants to come into our life and wants to steal our faith from us. It wants to keep us from putting our trust and our confidence completely in Jesus. It wants, us to, wants to get us to the place where we have more trust and more confidence in ourselves than what we have in him. And so Jesus gets in the boat and he goes to the other side and he says, go and tell everybody about what Jesus has done for you. And he departed and he began to proclaim all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Dear lives, you're a marvel because of what Jesus has done in your life. People need to know what Jesus has done in your life. Now getting down to verse 21. Now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him. And he was by the sea, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him, earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she'll live. And so Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. In other words, they were pressing in on him from every side. And so here they are. They're on their way to Jairus' house so that Jesus can minister to their daughter. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was not better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, you see, supply follows belief. It's just like the man that was demon-possessed, his supply was the deliverance that came through Jesus. That was supplied as he looked at Jesus. Here, Jairus is looking to Jesus, and he, he asked Jesus to come to his house, and he's coming. And now they're interrupted. They're on their way, and he gets interrupted. And immediately, or excuse me, I've got to go up a little further. And she heard about Jesus, verse 27. She came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And so she touched his clothes. And it says, immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around to the crowd and said, who, who touched my clothes? And so what happened was, because she believed and because she reached out and because she grabbed Jesus, there was this 
anointing that flowed out of her, out of him, into her body, and immediately the flow of blood ceased. And Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had, been, who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, trembling, looking what had happened to her, came, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. Now notice what happened here. This woman had heard about Jesus. And when she heard about Jesus, after spending everything that she had, now, now remember the condition of this woman. She had lost everything. She had lost her finances. She is still living under the Levitical law, so she was not allowed to go out into public because of her flow of blood. She would have been caught in public. They could have taken her to the edge of the city and stoned her because of the condition that she was in. And so she took a chance in being out in the public at all, so she had no real fellowship with anybody. She couldn't go to temple because of her, condi her condition. Everything in her life was a mess. She lost her health. It said she was continually growing worse. But somehow she heard about Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And oftentimes we think we've got to hear so much. But you know, sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's just a name. The name above every name. The name of Jesus. And she heard about that name. We don't know what she heard. She probably heard somebody say something about, you know, I've heard this guy's roaming around and his name is Jesus and and. People that, that are touched by him, there's, they're, they're receiving healing. And she didn't even consider herself to be worthy to be touched by him. And so what she felt she had to do was sneak up behind and touch the fringe of his garment. But if I could just do that, she was confident that she would be healed. And so she touched the hem of his garment. And she was healed, she felt immediately the flow of blood in her body to dry up and she could sense that she was healed. And Jesus turns around and he says, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. Be healed of your affliction. Now, isn't that an interesting statement for him to make? Because obviously she already had healing in her body, but Jesus turns around and he looks at her and she, he says, he didn't say, daughter, you've been healed of your affliction. He said, be healed of your affliction. We think of affliction and oftentimes we think of affliction as being, being sickness or a disease. But to be healed of affliction means everything that is lacking in your life has been restored. And so that which had been stolen from her, her health, her finances, her social life, everything in her life 
in that moment in Jesus Christ was restored. I'm not saying that money fell from heaven, but all the potential was restored to her because of an encounter that she had with Jesus. You know what? She could have been healed of her affliction. I mean, she could have been healed of her sickness, but if she had not been healed of her affliction, her life wouldn't have changed that much. But because of her encounter with Jesus, everything changed because of Jesus. And so she's restored. While he's still speaking, some came to the ruler of the synagogue of the house and said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And you see, that's oftentimes what the enemy wants to do with a, with a particular circumstance or situation. He wants to use it to affect us. So we stop looking to Jesus, that we stop trusting in him. And they said, why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the the synagogue, don't be afraid, only believe. You know, and that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to each and every one of us this morning. Don't be afraid, only believe. Don't allow circumstances to steal from you your trust and your confidence in Jesus because Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Circumstances change. But Jesus, he doesn't ever change. He says, don't be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter and James and, and John, the brother of James. And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw the turmoil and those uh, weeping and wailing loudly. Again, circumstances in our life want to dictate to us what we're going to believe, what we're going to trust, and what the circumstances always want to do is to get us to remove our eyes from Jesus, to begin to look at everything else around us. Because when we do that, everything begins to look impossible. It looks hopeless. And the reason that it looks hopeless is because we lose hope. Hope is in Jesus. Our confidence is in Jesus. We put our trust in him, in him alone. And so he came in, Jesus, and said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child isn't dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. So often what the world wants to do towards us is it wants to ridicule us because of our belief, because of our trust, because of our confidence. And the reason that they ridicule us is because they begin to look at the circumstances around our life. And you see, our life isn't defined by the circumstances that we encounter. Our life is defined by what we believe, by who we look to, who we put our trust in, who we put our confidence in. 
we put our trust in Jesus. Life would be wonderful if we never had to encounter difficulty. I don't know about you, I don't like difficulty. I don't like tests, trials, don't like any of those things. But you know what? It's reality. You know, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this last week. You know, when I first heard the Word of Faith message, I thought what it meant was that as long as I continue to live and walk in faith, I won't have any problems. I won't have any difficulties. But you know what? I continue to have difficulties. Continue to have issues. Then I began to realize something. Faith doesn't mean that I don't ever encounter these things. Faith means that I have the tools, I have the ammunition, I have whatever I need to deal with any circumstance that comes my way. You've all heard my little story about Isaac. I don't remember what age he was, but he was just a little guy. and We're down at Winterset at Nicole and Bruce's, and it was his birthday, or no, I don't know, it might not have been his birthday. We were there for something. And we were sitting in the family room, and he had a bunch of toys out in the middle of the room, and, and uh, he had his tool set. You know, his, his dad likes to work on stuff, and so Isaac had to have tools, so he had his tool set out there. And, and so he was going to get something else out, and Nicole says, Isaac, before you get anything else out, you put these toys away. And Isaac stood up and he stood in the middle of the room and he says, guys, guys, these are not toys. These are tools. And you know what? That goes through my head all the time because these are not toys. What he's given us in the Word of God are tools to deal with whatever comes away, no matter how difficult. He gives us the tools to deal with every circumstance that we encounter. And so why did the enemy attack Jairus to get him to doubt, to get him to not believe? And of course, we know the end of the story, that Jesus goes in and Jesus raises her up. We have an adversary that wants us to doubt, wants us to turn our eyes away from Jesus. We need to look to him. He's our hope. He's our supply. You know, we have jobs and we need to be faithful to our jobs, but you know what? Our job is a means. Jesus is our supply. We have all sorts of other things that we look to for assistance and help. But you know, when push comes to shove, Jesus is our supply in every single area of life. And that's the number one reason why the enemy 
wants to distract us. He wants us to get our eyes off of him. He wants us to get into that state of hopelessness. Had an individual stop in and see me last week who was going through a difficult time. And, you know, you, you just wish there was something you could do for him. But you pray. But you know what? I was, I was able to encourage him because we got focused back in the right direction. Got his eyes off of, for a little bit, the circumstance around him. And got his eyes back on the hope that was before him, which is Jesus. And you see, that's why when Jesus spoke to the, the man that had the demons that had been set free, he said, go back to your acquaintances and share with them the wonderful things that I've done for you. Why is it so important that that we keep our eyes, we keep ourselves positive, that we keep our eyes fixed on the things that Jesus has done for us. What's important that we do that because you don't know when the words that you share are the exact words that somebody needs at that particular moment to, to build them up, to edify them, to give them hope. You know, oftentimes we get into a place where we just feel like we can't take another step, but you know what, we can. And sometimes we need that encouragement. How supply will follow belief. When we believe what Jesus has truly done for us, when we look to the completed works, what he's fulfilled for each and every one of us, what happens is we begin to get supply. He begins to meet that need. But it's not while we put our trust in self while we put our trust in him. Jesus is not just simply the author of our faith. The Bible says he's the perfecter of our faith and that we can trust him. He promises, he says, I'll never, I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you. I'll always be there. And you know, at those moments where we feel like we can't go on, that's when we need to look to him the most and trust him, knowing he'll never leave us. And so, Father, we thank you this morning that we can trust you, that you are unchanging, that just as you were there for the man that had the demons, the woman with the issue, Jairus, you're there for us. And so we put our confidence in you and we look to you, Jesus. We look to you, Jesus, and we know that it's in you that we find our hope. It's in you that we trust. Lord, we want you to have your way in each of our lives. And so we thank you and we give you praise in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.
Have a blessed day.